Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast, presented by DaVinci Academy. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper. This episode is a part of our DaVinci Innovators series, which feature physicians, inventors, and entrepreneurs working on innovative medical technology. Our guests for these episodes discuss developing new medical technology, building med tech companies, and advice for anyone going through the process of medical innovation. For this episode, I interview Dr. Naveen Goyle, co-founder and CEO of Loud Capital, a venture capital firm in Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Goyle was a practicing anesthesiologist for many years in private practice that became involved in real estate investing and angel investing. While still practicing, he also co-founded an anesthesia startup called SmileMD and began an angel investing network that served as the eventual platform for Loud Capital. He eventually left clinical practice to work on his startup companies and investing full-time. He is also the author of a new book, Physician Underdog, where he tells his story and aims to empower physicians to realize their full potential as highly trained, capable professionals that can make great contributions both clinically and outside of clinical medicine. During this episode, Dr. Goyle and I discuss his journey through clinical medicine, entrepreneurship, and venture capital. And now, my interview with Dr. Naveen Goyle. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Da Vinci Hour podcast. This week, I am joined by Dr. Naveen Goyle. Naveen, welcome to the program. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your training, your background, and kind of what led you to where you are today? Yeah, of course. So I uh, grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, went to Ohio State for undergrad, majored in molecular genetics, which uh, someone told me to do a fancy major so I could put it on my application and sound better for med school. Um, I got into medical school at University of Cincinnati, but I think the major took my GPA down and stressed me out more, and I still have no idea what molecular genetics is. Um, Outside of that, we had a great four years in Cincinnati, uh, matched in anesthesiology at University of Chicago, so I had a great four years of uh, mindset expansion, really learned a ton around a lot of great, ambitious, smart people, um, and then enjoyed the city, and ended up in private practice back in Columbus uh, at a large hospital system uh, for what I call the dream job. with regards to an anesthesiologist, it's, it's flexibility of cases, it's having good people around you, um, some outpatient, some inpatient, uh, good compensation, and uh, high, high level of uh, standards. So it was really everything I looked for. And I ended up uh, uh, really being extremely fulfilled and happy. And as time goes on, we change. Uh, the job didn't change too much, and I, I felt like I wanted a little bit more. Uh, and that's when I started you know, investing in different things, Uh, initially some real estate, eventually into angel investing. So got into investing into startups and buying pieces of companies and equity uh, for X amount of dollars, which was exciting. Got a piece of something. Some of it went like this, which was a great learning point, uh, but it did not stop me. I really saw the value in what angel investors are investing can do for you financially, but also the, the larger piece for me was learning a lot along the way. Awesome. And now, now you do venture capital full time. Is that, that correct? You're, you're the, the founder and CEO of Loud Capital in Columbus, right? That is correct. Yeah. Definitely want to get more into that as well. But I guess kind of tying up the part about your practice. So it sounds like you had the dream job. Were you in, you were in private practice? Was that like a full, did you do any kind of education or research or were you mainly, was most of your time clinical or did you have any administrative responsibilities when you were doing that? Great question. So, yeah, as a, as a large hospital practice, um, initially it was clinical only. And as time went on, 
and you know the learning curve goes a little bit more flat, uh, you get a little bored. And I think that happens a lot to our physician community who were used to taking tests and studying for the next round and being stressed for the next round. But once you hit your, let's say, job and there's not a ton of new research or new things happening, I would call a lot of fields that maybe, you know, cancer research, biologics, there's a lot of specific niches that maybe are a little bit more ambitious to catch up with. But in the field of anesthesiology, it's, you know, there's been a lot of research before me and uh, things are relatively safe. And so with that, there's not a ton new things to learn like studying for board exams, et cetera, just, just being stressed out about that. And with that comes some boredom. And so um, I got, I would say, thrown into a medical director position because one of my mentors ended up leaving the practice, which didn't happen in our practice. Um, it was just a, a solid practice. Most people liked it, but there was uh, things that he was going towards. And he wanted me to be a medical director, and I freaked out. And I freaked out because I realized that I like being liked by the people I work with. And the medical director position was at a, one of our community hospitals, which was causing a lot of friction between our group because people thought it was a smaller community hospital and therefore it was less work. But it was actually the opposite. It was actually, you had to be much more efficient. It ran very squeaky clean and very fast. You had to do a bunch of nerve blocks, then do this, go to the OR, Uh, do a lot more and so that caused even more friction for the people who were going there and working a little bit harder and so to be medical director was to put myself on a stage of friction which was a nightmare Um, but that really allowed me to you know i ended up taking the position a little bit stressed out a little bit you know okay let's let's figure this out but i grew i mean talk about personal growth number one realizing that you don't need to be liked by everybody even though that sounds simple when you are doing the right thing, working really hard and trying your best to do what is best for the position representing the group, you can still sleep okay and be all right, even though people disagree, which was a very big learning point for me. And then number three, being in a leadership position around non-clinical people was initially intimidating to me because I thought, oh my gosh, I know clinical, I'm not sure about this and that. But after a while, you realize it's really, it was myself that was not confident. I had all the capabilities. Now, I learned a lot, don't get me wrong, about leadership, how to be relevant and concise in meetings, how to be helpful, and what to do before or after meetings. I learned that. But once I hit that stage, I felt like I could be at any table. And that's where I started really thinking broader and bigger. That's interesting. You know, yeah, I imagine that's a common feeling among many physicians, because all we do especially in residency fellowship is just clinical training. And so I would imagine, you know, when you get to that, it kind of an administrative role like that, you know, like supplies, you know, ordering things, vendors, all that kind of stuff. Is there like, did you just kind of learn on the fly and, and kind of maybe even use the, the skill we build so much as doctors, which is basically going into situations where we're kind of learning at a fast pace. Well, so, so here's an example. You, you said supplies, which I think is, is a, is a great topic. So as a clinician, Look, you have supplies or you don't have supplies. And when you don't, you're like, hey, we need more supplies. So what you're doing is you're just going down the chain or the supply chain and saying, how do these decisions occur? Hey, we need more of this for the operating rooms. Okay, well, we had budgeted this. Oh, interesting. So you only budgeted this and that's why there's not enough. Not because there's not enough out there, but because the hospital chose to budget that. Could we explore what budgets there are for other things? wait, why are you doing that? So 
It's really just uncovering the hood of what is going on in there. And that's not very intimidating. You know, if you look at it that way, if you look at start with what you know, which clinicians need this, and then go up the line to say how it's determined, you know, the decision making, you realize there's a lot of things that like people just don't know. There's chaos. (laughs) And you are there to represent, let's say that supply chain to those clinicians that you definitely know. And then eventually you apply it to other clinicians, right? Like gastroenterology, oh, I, I, I know that they need this. How do we get more for them? And then you just start expanding that same philosophy of following the line, you know, a couple of humans looking at some numbers and some, you know, budgets, actual availability, different brands, what the goal is for the hospital, which you'll realize, you know, most of them are not patient care every day. It's these numbers look like this and next quarter is going to look like this. That was another frustrating thing is you have all these really intelligent, ambitious people in the room and we're really not discussing straightforward things for the patient. We're discussing sheets and numbers that really aren't related to patients. Now, there'll be some connections and there'll be some KPIs and there'll be some this, but in the end, you are not making those decisions. And that became a turnoff for me personally. That's interesting. Yeah, it's almost feeling more like a corporate boardroom than necessarily a room where you're impacting patient care in a way. It is corporate. That's exactly what it is. And that's what you realize. And so when you're frustrated as a clinician or let's say wherever you are practicing medicine, you're like, I can't believe they don't, they don't do this. Well, they're not talking about you and the patient right now. They're actually talking about very different things that might hover or affect you, but that's not the main goal. And I know this is a, these are broad statements, but I just, I, I went into enough meetings where I'm like, what are we doing here? I don't care about this KPI. I got really bored. That's another thing. I mean, I just got bored. I was like, we're not really making a dent in the universe as we see patients over here, which is the original purpose of these systems. And that's where I feel like there's been a lot of distractions. Gotcha. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that while you were practicing as well, you got involved in like angel invest, like real estate investing, angel investing. How was that just something you personally were interested in or, or was there some opportunities that presented themselves or I guess, how did you find those opportunities? Yeah, that's a great question. Number one, the interest started <laughs> um, when, uh, you know, my daily newspaper is Wall Street Journal. And so I saw myself veering towards the business section. I don't have any formal training in, in business or again, never did a, a major or any, anything in business, but it's interested me. And, you know, especially when it comes to nowadays where we use a lot of brands, tech things that are associated with these like venture backed brands and you realize there's investors, whether they're individuals or large companies or funds, et cetera. I really got interested in these headlines and articles that would say, you know, this was, I remember when Tesla went public and Tesla went public, people were, oh, this is exciting. Let's see if this electric vehicle maker is going to go anywhere but they would talk about these investors and they're like, yeah, they, you know, early investors are very excited. They would talk about different fund rounds and stuff. So it really piqued my interest to say, how does one get an opportunity at that? And I saw a recurring theme of different companies going public, different companies getting acquired. Um, now, now I know that we only see that we don't see the ones that putter up, but either way, I was like, how do I allow myself the opportunity to get in there? And I, I remember thinking that and, I, and when I put my mind to something, I'll, I'll be stubborn enough to at least try to get there. So then at the same time, 
Um, what really got me into the entrepreneurial world and ecosystem and eventually investing was uh, I co-founded a company in 2014 called SmileMD, which is a mobile anesthesia company. So a few dentists came up to us, uh, myself and two co-founders, very close friends, also anesthesiologists, and said, you know, it'd be great to have anesthesiologists come to our practice, do or perform anesthesia on these patients that are flying in, they're paying big money, they're doing this, they're getting all this work done. It'd be really comforting to them and obviously safe for them, but that would make my practice look, you know, next level. And initially, you know, like, I've never really thought about that. And I don't think we do that. But that's the thing. When you say a statement like, I don't think we do that, or I don't think it happens, that's when you should really start questioning, but why? And you realize that most anesthesiologists and anesthesia personnel are in medical systems, hospitals, surgery centers, et cetera. But in the end, there's a lot of procedures that need to be enabled out there, everywhere. Does it need to be housed in an expensive hospital or an operating room? And so co-founded that in 2014. And without going into crazy detail, I mean, over the last eight years, we, we've really expanded. We're about to enter our fifth state. We've raised a couple rounds of capital from venture capitalists and uh, different investors. Um, insurance companies, uh, you know, we have contracts with that love how we're saving money, we're saving time to enable these procedures that don't need to be in a sterile operating room. And so right now we do essentially kids on Medicaid who have a lot of dental disease. And so imagine a five-year-old kid here in Ohio, uh, you have about a nine to 12 month wait at a dental surgery center or a hospital operating room. Wow. Low on the totem pole, you're talking Medicaid, you're talking um, dental. I mean, you, that's pretty much as low as it gets. The problem is, you know, they need anesthesia, these kids, right? But you don't need a sterile operating room. So we go out there, we bring a nurse, paramedic, uh, an anesthesiologist, equipment, supplies, logistics, you have insurance. I mean, you can imagine what it takes to do general anesthesia, even a couple hours away from here. We go out to every community, rural uh, especially, um, and, and we enable that. So that going through that process of knowing the anesthesia but nothing about business and learning that as we went along, that's very motivating. And the fact that we were capable of learning to do, to build this company, now we have 110 people employed. I mean, it's a, it's a huge team of, of really great folks who, who believe in culture, work-life balance, taking care of patients directly, not indirectly, which I think a lot of our um, community feels. It's very rewarding and empowering. And so after I started, uh, co-founded that, I met all these entrepreneurs learning about business. I was like, how do you do this? Wait, what'd you build? What'd you do? And I started investing in some of them as I'm learning. So that's really how I got my feet wet in the entrepreneurial ecosystem by co-founding a startup and then eventually investing in some. And then a year later after starting Smile and D in 2015, started an angel fund where people were coming up to me and saying, I see your angel investing. Uh, I, I was talking about it, right? So when I say right. see, I, I love talking about this stuff. You, you co-founded this company. You're now only talking about business stuff. Like you're, you're no longer, you know, talking about this or that. People said, you know, I'm very interested. I have some capital. I want to get exposed to that market because they either, they also knew about angel investing or I would talk about it and they'd be like, wow, that's an interesting thing. And so that's what started Loud Capital, which was in 2015. Gotcha. You know, I'm curious, were, were you working on this startup doing angel investing in addition to your clinical practice? And I guess if you were, how are you, how are you balancing that? Were you going, did you go part-time ever, or did you just do it like in your evenings and off time? I will say when I co-founded SmileMD and started angel investing, 
I was full-time, full-time partner. I was even medical director then for, for seven years. And so what I tell people is I don't have any more time than, let's say, let's call it another anesthesiologist, right? Like anesthesiologists in the world of medicine have, let's say, pretty decent lifestyles. And I say decent because my perspective has changed. I think we in medicine say, oh my God, I have a good lifestyle. Physicians work really, really hard and for more hours than I, I knew compared to a lot of people out here. So that's my realization. But anesthesiologists have relatively good lifestyles in the physician community. Um, with my free time, I, I'm, I'm married, I have two kids, so I was, you know, two daughters, and, and so very busy. The couple hours I have, let's say, in a day or, or if I had a post-call day or a day off or whatever, I would focus on this stuff because I would nerd out on it. I would say, I'm not, I'm not working today. What should I do? I drive downtown here in Columbus and sit on some um, advisory meetings. It sounds boring for some. For me, it was exciting. It was like a kid in a candy store. And, and some of my colleagues uh, would, would get their golf game on, and that was important to them, and that got them their energy and made them feel alive. For me, it was entrepreneurship. I was all in. And that didn't stop. Eventually, in 2018, so Smile and Be's growing, um, and now it's, it's known as Offer Health, as in like Office OR. And so it's because we're doing more than just dental. Loud Capital was really growing. And we had a team and, you know, had an office open up in Chicago as well. And now we have one in Raleigh, North Carolina. That was expanding. So things are getting growing and I'm getting very fulfilled. And so what I like to tell uh, the physician community is my fulfillment in medicine was going a little bit lower because I didn't feel like I was making a dent in the universe. And maybe that's just my field of anesthesiology, but I will say that when you are getting more experienced and older and continue to see one-on-one, -on -one, um, and, and I'll tell you specifically for me, private healthcare system in, in Columbus, you know, I've just seen really, really, really sick people come to the OR. I would take care of them, and then I probably wouldn't see them afterwards. But I didn't feel like I did much. Now, was it an important slice of their life? Absolutely. And I felt I was doing important work. But I would go home and I was like, I took care of four patients today. They were sick as hell. And I'm not sure if really that's going to change their, their pathway in life. And so did I have an opportunity to talk to them, to educate them, to influence them in other ways? No. And that's how I see venture and that's how I see entrepreneurship is impacting people's lives very comprehensively. And so as a physician, I feel like that has one factor that contributes to burnout right now or unfulfillment is the fact that we want to do more. We can do more. We are able to do more, but in the current vehicle and careers, we can't do more. And so that's where I live. I live in the world of, I can do anything. Like I can literally do anything right now. I'm very empowered, not arrogant. I'm not, I'm far from perfect, but I'm very empowered. Mm -hmm. And I want to pass that on to our community that, you know, and, and, and all of you, like you're a resident right now, right? Right, right. And all the medical students and residents listen right now. You guys are way, guys and gals, whoever, are way smarter than me. All right? <laughs> way more competitive right now, way smarter than me. The capabilities of you is, is phenomenal. But the confidence, I'm not sure, to leave is probably the same as my colleagues. Because as we get deeper into specializing and, and really uh, um, an owner of our craft, I feel like we lose confidence in doing something else because two things. Number one, you're so deep in here, you feel less confident about going in a different direction. And number two, your new world perception is that you need to be an expert. 
And mm-hmm. that's what I'm here to say to you. Absolutely not. People don't know shit around here. <laughs> people, people don't know anything. And if they don't, they'll learn it. And what have we proven to ourselves in our community? The ability to learn a crap load of information, the ability to undergo hard working hours, crazy stress, being pulled in different directions, making decisions, and still waking up and having to take care of people. We've proven that already. So there's zero excuse for us to feel like, can we, or are we able to? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's amazing to me in residency, how many times you get just thrown in, and I'm sure you remember this, like you get thrown into situations where you kind of know what you're doing, but you're not either not very confident about it, or maybe do have limited knowledge and you still, you figure it out, you learn on the job, you make the best you can with it. And I feel like I would imagine that can, that right there can be applied. You know, if you just have your training kick in, that could be even applied to situations you're talking about as well. That, that's exactly right. I talk to a lot of people and I feel like, again, I, I'm not joking. There are, there are a lot of you are way of just have the capability to do a lot. It's really hard to get in med school. It's really hard to stay in med school. It's really hard to match. It's really hard to be in a residency and get past that. It just is. And, and if you can do that, you've done, you've proven so much more to yourself than most people on this planet. Now think about that for a second. What can't you do? I mean, that's, that's very empowering. You, you get so immersed in being around, you know, highly motivated, you know, highly driven people, very intelligent people that you forget kind of where you sit in the larger ecosystem of things. But I think that's an excellent point. Well, thanks. Yeah. And again, I, I'm not saying this for ego. I'm saying this so people feel empowered. Mm-hmm. What you do on a daily basis is, is, is not normal. And it's <laughs> normal to us because we're around us. And, you know, when you're, when you're done with uh, an, an anesthesia rotation, a surgery rotation, OB-GYN, I mean, you're doing crazy stuff. You're learning a crazy amount of information. You're, have a, you're carrying a lot. And, and a lot of people don't have to do that. Um, and, and being in uh, crazy scenarios and in the OR and being crazy scenarios in entrepreneurship and, and, and stuff does get crazy, like really does in the entrepreneurial world. But it's, it's a, that kind of level of stress that we've, we've been doing. And so if anyone, you've been stress tested. <laughs> That's an excellent point. I think you, you've, you've hit on this in a, in a few ways, but I just maybe the summation of it, you know, we spend all this time training to be physicians, we finally get there, you know, and you, you, you know, like you said, you were an attending, you were a partner of private practice. Was that a hard decision to leave full-time clinical medicine? It sounds like you tried to do a split or part-time or could, had you kind of reached that point where you were ready to move on? I mean, it was a big decision. And so if anyone listening out here or watching out here can, can imagine, right? I'm no different than anyone else. I worked really hard to be here. Uh, I worked for 13 years at my uh, job. And, and one thing I, uh, another thing I like to tell people is it was a huge decision. Could I have gone part-time, like, especially in anesthesia where there's a lot of shift type work in my private practice, I actually could have gone part-time like 50%. Most people cannot do that. Right. Uh, even as physicians, it's just, whether it's a different field or their practice isn't set up, I could have done it. Guess what? Wasn't enough for me. I said, no, I was probably down to. Uh, by 2019, I had an option to get a little bit more vacation and, and down to 90%. So that unlocked some weeks in the year and that was really helpful, but it wasn't enough. And as these businesses were growing, I said this, I know that if I'm doing this full time and working on the business, 
number one, it's going to really energize me because I get very energized with what we've created from scratch. Number two, I think the business businesses deserve it and I can really add value to, to really build something impactful. And then number three, I was really unfulfilled at work. It was to the point where, you know, it, it's like I was sensing a whole nother direction and pathway that was really energizing to me. And then I was still on the same job that was taking energy away from me. And so I made the decision with my wife, who's a physician. Um, I, I spoke to her and I said, this seems radical. But even though they had, they had the business has built, there was revenue coming in, I would be leaving full time to, to join this full time. Really didn't have an option to come back to my partnership. Just that's how medical practices work. Um, I was going to do some 1099 uh, shifts for them to kind of bridge my way out, uh, which only lasted a few months because I just realized every time I stepped in, I was like, what am I doing here? I could be spending 10 hours doing this. I mean, that's, that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is the point that everyone should remember. If they feel that urge like I felt at that time, which I, I can be a little crazy, so I was probably a stronger urge you have a, an MD or DO, you have a degree that you can fall back on with the market out there. And with, if you fall flat on your face, which I told my wife, I told myself, I said, if something doesn't work out or it's things are slower and I need to go back, I can pick up the phone and call anybody and get work. I can provide income for myself and my family. And most people cannot say that. And I can tell you right now for the physicians listening out there who are thinking about it, we don't leverage that. Now the word leverage can be scary, it can be assertive, but I feel like that's what other people would do, but on the nature of what physicians are, which we think we we, we don't have as much confidence to do other things, we've worked so hard to get here, right? And that's another question I get. Oh my gosh, you worked so hard to get here, do you have any regrets? No, but just because I worked really hard to get here, that was my first stop, right? This is a trip mm-hmm. in life and I have zero regrets and I bring a lot of physician ethics and experience and took care of a lot of great people and I was fulfilled and now I'm fulfilled again and I'm bringing my medical degree out broader and wider and, and in different leadership positions. So, so it's leveraging that knowledge and I ended up leveraging that, that card and I haven't fallen back on it, but I can if I need to. So just something to think about. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm curious, where does Loud Capital fit into this? Was that when you when you left clinical practice to go full time in entrepreneurship, did you go immediately? Had you started Loud Capital yet or, or was that something that happened after that? Yeah, yeah. So so that first angel fund in 2015 was the start of Loud Capital. So that was an okay. angel fund, had investors come in. A lot of them were physicians and we, st- we still get a lot of physician investors interested in venture and alternative investments. They invested in that fund. We invested in several companies. Uh, loud comes from, uh, you know, loud capital, the name comes from being loud and active investors. So the opportunity we see is there's a lot of angel investors. There's a lot of funds that invest in companies that grow, but a lot of it is passive investing. A lot of it's like, Hey, we got a deal here. We're going to invest half a million bucks from this fund. And, you know, hopefully that grows or exits or both. But what we don't see is opportunity to work with entrepreneurs, to see their daily grind and how can we be helpful there? And the difference is, you know, starting SmileMD uh, and my co-founder of Loud Capital, he's a serial entrepreneur. Um, we're very entrepreneurial. 
And so what that means is when we invest, it's not like, here you go, it's invest. Hey, listen, uh, we noticed when, when we're uh, doing diligence, you need customers, you need help with this, you need help with that. Let's, uh, let's, let's try to get our team together and figure out how we can open up some doors. So it's a very active investing. And so what that did to me was increase my fulfillment. I was like, oh my God, like we're not only investing to make money and to help grow these impactful companies. So we invest in companies that we feel are solving real problems. And right. And so we won't, we won't invest in a, you know, no offense to, to, to med device folks out there, a med device that's slightly better than another med device, not really changing the game. It's still on a very expensive system. Um, and just throwing that out there as an example, but if there's a different way to get, again, like a smile and is bringing access to care. You have a child that's waiting nine to 12 months. Now they're waiting one month. And we also save the system, just the insurance company, a good amount of money, but we save the healthcare system a crap load of money because there's a lot of ER visits in between that nine, 12 month wait is what we're learning more and more. So does that feel like a very purpose-driven company? Does that feel like we, you know, you know, I co-founded a company that's doing something that was a problem, solving something that was a problem? Yes. There's a lot of other companies we've invested in that are, that are in or along that same realm, not stealing customers or market share from another, but saying, what's wrong here? How can we make this cheaper, better, faster and get more adoption to impact more people? And so think about that fulfillment, what I just said. That fills up my bucket. So I go to sleep at night thinking, wow, we just invested, helped, put our experience, made connections because we believe in this company and what it does for people or kids or adults. And so that's what loud capital is. Our tagline is venture for people. I happen to get a lot of, you know, physicians and non-physicians who reach out and say, I'm interested in investing. Uh, I want to make money, but I heard you guys also look at this. And so for me and the team, it's elevating the standard of investing. Let's make a crap load of money. Let's do it. Right. But let's make a crap load of money that's aligned with what we're trying to do in the world and at no sacrifice anywhere. I'm just saying it's a higher standard. That's pretty cool. And I mean, I think one of the interesting things about entrepreneurship is that, and in, you know, venture capital investing is you can, you can impact people on a much bigger scale. I think that's yeah. probably the attraction versus just obviously clinical medicine. Like you said, we do important work. We help patient to patient, but you can impact a lot more people when it comes to entrepreneurship. I mean, for example, I produced this podcast through a medical education company and you know, I was a tutor in med school. So it was a kind of similar, I would help student to student. And then I built these video courses and podcasts and they help obviously students on a much larger scale, which is for me very gratifying. And as a resident now, I don't necessarily have the time to teach someone individually, you know, like I did in medical school, but I can still make an impact. So I echo I, what you're saying. I think it's, it's an, it's a different type of impact, but it's, yeah. uh, but it, but it's definitely very fulfilling. I agree. Yeah. And, and, and I can, I can probably give you the closest example just because I wear the, the hats of being an anesthesiologist and co-founding SmileMD is if I was still working clinically right at my large hospital system, let's say it took care of four or five patients, sick, needed it, okay. In the meantime, the company that we co-founded and been working on for a long time, employing nurses, paramedics, anesthesiologists, and, and, and many others, we probably took care of potentially 50 patients today in four different states today. That's so wild. <laughs> Think about that. We, we, we send out teams in different um, offices around four different states because our fifth state is not active at the moment. We're just setting up. We are employing nurses, paramedics, anesthesiologists. 
and actually a, a paramedic today, uh, we kind of have a central Slack channel, said I was used to work at um, for a fire station. I was a paramedic. I was working crazy hours. Now I have more work-life balance, so they're happier. But they also said they're they're doing this direct patient care that's really special and fulfilling to them. So think about that. That's unique because you know I happen to co-found an anesthesia company and be an anesthesiologist. But that's a direct comparison of how you can scale. And I can tell you right now, a year from now, it's going to be many more kids and more adults. But then you start looking at the other companies that I'm working on. Um, and, and, and one of them recently, I co-founded a, a, a third company called Beyond Physician. So uh, med students, residents, physicians, if you go to beyondphysician.com, log on, make a free profile. It's the tagline learn, earn, and grow. And so when we're talking about being able to do other things, people don't necessarily have time. They don't necessarily know how to start other endeavors or earn income from other, you know, consulting, advising, um, you know, doing things that you have in your head, but don't have the ability to do just because you don't know how to do it. This platform is to bring that to you on a silver platter, you know, so we're, we're talking to different companies, pharma, law firms, a lot of different companies who would love to pick the brain of a resident or a medical student or physician license in or certain fellowships or has this background or, or something that can help them. And so my our thesis is if we can use different parts of our brain, also use our experience that we have that we're not able to use, right? Outside of clinical experience, we don't use a lot of our, um, all these things we've experienced. Um, we don't, we're not able to share that or influence others. So Beyond Physician is supposed to do that. And so very excited about that. That's very cool. Very cool. Um, I guess at a from loud capital perspective, do, do you guys invest in one particular type of industry or is it more just kind of the the founder story and the impact they're making? And I guess what type of size, what size of companies do you like to invest in as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are industry agnostic. So we've done some healthcare. We've done a lot of others. So um, education, education tech, tech in general, supply chain, energy. So we do a lot. And so the thesis is, you know, very purpose-driven companies solving real problems. And that exists in every industry. And there's a lot of industries, you know, like healthcare and education. Um, I'm pretty in the weeds on education. It's, it's very similar. You have a lot of teachers leaving the system. They don't feel like the system is serving students. So they don't feel like they're teaching anymore. They're simply working in a system to check boxes. Sound familiar? So, so when it comes to really making things better, faster, cheaper, and more accessible, which access is a big deal. And I'll tell you, leaving the hospital practice and being out here from having employees allowed capital to seeing a lot of people and founders and, and exploring, wow, there's a lot more things out here than I had realized. And, and I don't like to say I was in a bubble, but I think I was in a bubble. I think I was walking into my large hospital system, taking care of patients. I would see a full operating room like these many patients are like, oh, crap, that's a busy day. A lot of people. I did not realize how many people could not get in the hospital system because of transportation, because they didn't have the time, the long wait, etc. So it's just like there's so anyways, you know, we are industry agnostic because there's opportunity everywhere. I also think it's very fun to learn about so many new industries. And if we don't know enough, we bring people in who've been working in that industry. So again, it's acknowledging that I don't know a lot but surrounding yourself with people who do know and are passionate about it and helping them. Cause there's a lot of core, 
core similarities and different, right? Like healthcare companies, there's still a lot of entrepreneurial things to, to get over obstacles, whether it's, you know, marketing, getting customers, sales, all these things. I mean, that's, that applies to every, every company. So we help strategically there. Um, we usually invest in seed series A. And so um, we've invested in very, very early companies that are really, really starting to, to grow now. Uh, we've led rounds in series A. So, um, but, but seed series A, we invest a lot in the Midwest and the South. Um, they're not only underfunded companies and entrepreneurs, but valuations aren't crazy. Like, you know, the West Coast will brew up in our environment that if you're an investor and you have X amount of money, we want to get the best deal for, for us and our investors. And then we also think, which I think is a really important thing, um, is uh, a lot of inclusiveness because VC is, is very vanilla. And, 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 and it's not just that statement. What I realized is VC is very powerful. It uplifts role models, future role models. And so if you're not investing in underfunded communities, so we have a pride fund, LGBTQ plus community, um, we're starting to invest in more women. We've actually been investing in a decent amount, but we can do better. And when you, what you, what you realize is once you invest in them, you get this stamp of credibility and then other VCs will invest or other folks will invest. And what, regardless of what happens to that company, they become role models for others. So it's like this domino effect. So taking the power of VC is also having responsibility to broaden the funnel. And that's the opportunity here. I don't see it enough in my industry. There's a lot of people who come in, never built a business, never been in a startup. They're smarter on paper than we are, but they don't have business experience and they join a large firm and they continue doing what's been done, which is wasting a lot of money, investing in things that don't necessarily push society forward or impact in a positive manner. Um, and that's where it kind of becomes a, a lottery. So that, that's the stuff I, I definitely don't like. That's the stuff my wife was concerned when I was going in this industry, like, oh my gosh. And I was, when I was playing through the opportunity, uh, she understands. And, and again, I have, I have two kids, I have two daughters, 11 and 13, and I explain to them what I do. The last thing I want to do is say, I raise capital and invest in companies and just try to exit. And we don't care about the jobs. We don't, cause that, I see that so much. It's such a waste of experience and opportunity. That's pretty cool that you make that extra effort to, you know, make sure that these are companies that align with what your vision is. And then one that, you know, both in many in multiple, as you described, multiple different facets can make large impacts both to their customers, but also with inspiring other entrepreneurs, other people in the community. Uh, so I, I commend you and your colleagues for that. That's pretty cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you know, that's, that's, that's why I left too. I mean, there's just, it's, it's a, it's a large canvas of, you know, really smart people, a lot of money. And then what do you do with that? So my goal, and it's actually why I do podcasts, why I do media, I want to get that influence out. And, and I'm very proud of my physician core, my physician ethics, um, bringing that into more companies, more funds, the VC world, the entrepreneurial world. I think it can be more people centric. And, and I don't see that. I see it very much focused on a specific problem that doesn't necessarily ben uh, you know, affect people or a company comes up with a solution and they fall in love with their solution that they try to sell it, not necessarily what it does for people. That's interesting. You know, I'm curious, it sounds like many of your partners, if not all of them are not physicians. I wonder how, how do you think your perspective differs from, differs from theirs? And like, I guess specifically, like 
how did you think your training and background as a physician helps you make an impact, maybe a unique impact on, you know, everything from investment decisions to working with these startups and, and so on? Yeah, I, I will say this, and obviously there's a lot of factors and I'm one person, one personality. I will say this when, um, you know, in the medical realm, almost to a fault, we didn't really talk about money, right? We don't talk about you know, you talk about training and, and getting and helping the patient. And and that was the case when I walked in as an anesthesiologist in the OR, you, you, you look at the patient, you start, you go to work. And in, when you go into the, you know, this world, let's call it the investment world, financial world, especially, it is money first, and then let's consider it. And it's extreme. Now, I believe in solid business models and revenue, I, I believe in it. But I think I am a constant reminder to ensure that we are doing the right thing. Now, I'm not solo. I'm not just the one person in the group. That's why we have our team. Everyone's aligned on that, but it is at my core. It is at my core. And I feel like the other folks deeply believe in it as well, but I know that I am a constant beacon for that. Um, so that's all I can say just with my one person experience. But I do think that's what physicians can do for companies, I mean, just like chief ethical officers join tech companies or tech companies want chief ethical officers. Think about that, right? A lot of these folks are uh, attorney backgrounds and know law and, know, and, and, and they have a good balance. And, and the intention of having that position is what I think the intention to have more positions involved, not as a medical director only or as a right medical officer, literally almost like an ethics officer or a people officer where we're just making sure our company, our culture, our mission is impacting and helping people. And as we know from a lot of social entrepreneur companies, if you focus on that, you will make money. You will make your brand. Um, it seems like common sense. It's not easy, but not enough people really think that way. Yeah, and that, that's an interesting point. I think I also think the attorney parallel is, is interesting because I feel like, tell me if you disagree, but I, I think attorneys do a better job of this than, than physicians do where they take their skill set and their expertise and don't necessarily like practice, or maybe they practice law for a little bit and then they go and do something else or, or in addition to their law practice, they leverage that expertise, which is very valuable, obviously. I guess, how do you, do you, would you agree with that? And then do you, are there ways you think you've seen physicians do that in, in multiple ways as well. I, I do actually, I think about that a lot. And when I talk to different attorneys, we work with a bunch of attorneys. I do think in law school, I think they're trained better to know their value. I think when it comes to billing and, and getting paid for their value, it's um, especially, you know, it's, it's more of a private world um, overall. I think they have that knowledge. Now, there's plenty of attorneys that rub me the wrong way because, you know, you shoot an email, you give them a quick call, you'll be on that bill. So I think it's like a little bit extreme, but to their credit, they know how to charge for their value. And there's a lot of ones that I've met that are really in the middle where they're, they're building a relationship, they will charge for their value, but it's not nickel and diming. Physicians are so bad at it, but it's because it was not introduced to us. It, it, it feels dirty. It feels like oh gosh, we have to talk about money right now. That's another thing that I think that negatively affects the confidence of physicians going into business because many of us have been trained to only focus on the solving the problem and not kind of building uh, a, 
a business around it or getting paid for the value of that. And I'll tell you, there is so much undervaluing going on in our physician community. The thing is we can't turn it on in the hospital or let's or necessarily in the patient realm, you know, focus when there's a small pool of money when it comes to insurance and all these other people that are grabbing money. It's not necessarily the right perspective, but I think basic finances, basic budgeting, knowing your value, knowing about other fields, like perhaps learning about some of the things that law students are learning about might be helpful to us. Um, I don't have a perfect answer, but I, I do get a lot of inquiries about how I learned business and how I learned. And I said, I learned it on my own, but I'm actually going to start personally building courses uh, on Beyond Physician, um, as well as some other content creators. We're going to need more content creators. I have a whole team. So if people want to make courses and either make money or do it for free, uh, we'll be able to do that on Beyond Physician. That's awesome. Maybe tell us a little bit more about Beyond Physician. Like, you know, you said it, it was to kind of create a place for physicians and other, you know, medical trainees to find opportunities. And probably also, it sounds like for companies and other institutions or entities to find that expertise. Because I feel like there's no otherwise, I mean, yeah, there's like LinkedIn, but I feel like it takes a little bit more legwork to just do it on LinkedIn. I think this is a great idea. You know, it kind of make, kind of brings everyone closer together in a way. Thank you. Um, yeah, and, and so LinkedIn, which I'm, I'm very active on, LinkedIn is more of a social network and it also has a job board, et cetera, but it leads with social. For Beyond Physician, it's not leading with social, it's leading with personal development. It's like, I wanna get on here because I want to be an advisor. I want to learn courses on how I can start a side gig, how I can, or, or learn basic financial you know, terms or I want to know how to read a P&L. So this is for you, anyone who logs on, personal development. I'm a, I'm a pre-med student and I want to get services from a um, resident because I'm interested in, let's say, radiology and I wanna to talk to a radiology resident and I'm willing to pay, I'm willing to consult. There's not really an aggregated community or platform that does that and the technology is deep. Like, have you heard of Upwork or Fiverr? Sure. Uh, gig, yeah, like a gig economy that's what this is plus more and so when i say plus more because uh it's user experience and again the courses with credentials so imagine this let's say pharma comes on and puts out 20 jobs for physicians who are orthopedic surgeons and have this fellowship and they want their input for an hour each uh on these documents that they want to do on the platform but in order to do that they want to make sure the orthopedic surgeon has consulted before because to train a, cons uh, a person who's never consulted, it might be a little bit of uh, inefficient time. So now let's say we build a course or even the pharma company builds a course that says, take this course. And let's say it's for free. You take this course, how to consult for us. Mm -hmm. Okay. You take this course by the end of the course, it has quizzes and everything. All these, all this tech is on here on this platform. You take this course and let's say it took you an hour. You took the quiz, you passed it. Now you get a credential that says ready to consult for this pharma company. That pharma company now gets a dashboard of people who have applied and have the credential. And they say, hey, you have 20 orthopedic surgeons here. Boom, 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 boom. So that's how it works. So it enables you to unlock your potential to get more opportunities. And it allows the people who need our community for them to filter out and ensure there's educating. So that's a functional way to start earning money, to start doing different things. People, people personally reach out to me to say, hey, how can I get involved in venture? How can I be an advisor in a company? How can I learn about a company? How can I start a company? All these things. 
So now I can finally say, go to Beyond Physician. I'm every single day working with the team on getting opportunities on there, on building more courses, on getting more course creators. And that way our community, when we're frustrated, I mean, I, I don't see the direction in a very positive one in the sense of adversity, in the sense of, of seeing all, all the things that's going on. But one thing is I don't want missed opportunity anymore in our community. There's a lot of great folks that work really hard that don't have necessarily the time or the know-how to get and grab those opportunities, even if they're empowered. So how can we bring that to them? And that's what Beyond Physician is for. That's really cool. We'll have to definitely uh, we'll link that in the in the show notes for people to check that out. I, I know I, I made a profile when you sent it to me a couple of weeks ago, and I got to get back on there. And now that I know yeah. more about it and check it out. <laughs> yeah. And if you check certain things you're interested in, let's say, hey, I'm interested in uh, learning how to invest, why you invest, uh, learning financial this or want to be an advisor. As those opportunities come on, it will match your algorithm and say, OK, he wants this. And, and it'll send you an email saying, hey, these opportunities are available. So uh, we're literally just launched and we're getting more opportunities by the day. So, um, yeah, hopefully it won't even have to be you checking in on your platform. It's really just saying, hey, just guess what? Boom, boom, boom. Or if someone wants to consult with you because they're interested in, in the residency spot that you're in. So very cool. Very cool. I feel like that's that's a good lead into uh, the, the book you wrote recently, The Physician Underdog, which I think is a pretty cool title. Uh, so maybe tell us tell us about the title, your your inspiration for writing that, and what you hope people get out of it. Sure. Um, yeah, I just launched it uh, in January. It's called Physician Underdog, leveraging the underdog mentality to move forward. And so, um, kind of some of the things we've talked about: um, being very accomplished, knowing a lot, but still being in this position where we feel like we're underdogs. We don't feel like our voice carries very far. We don't feel like we have a lot of opportunities. We don't feel like we have a lot of control uh, and a lot of us don't feel fulfilled, right? That's an underdog position. Like that's not what was supposed to happen, right? We've right. done the right things. We got in, we worked our butt off, we matched, we did this or, you know, we, we, were, we did what we were told to do and yet we feel this way. And then we feel like other people or other industries are progressing or able to have this flexibility or have this stage or have this impact why do we feel this way? And that's why I called it physician underdog. And, you know, usually those two terms together um, aren't, weren't per pertinent or relevant, but it actually gives me an opportunity to talk about the things we're talking about, especially to non-physicians. And you apply it to a lot of other healthcare workers. You apply it to law. You apply it to teachers. This could be called professional underdog. It's really, I've worked so hard. Why do I feel this way? And what can you do? And so it's leveraging that what can you do to move forward? And that's what I did. I said, you know what? I'm not feeling fulfilled. I'm either silly enough or just confident enough to move forward on some things. And it opened up my mind. And now I'm in a very different place. Now, does everyone want to or need to do what I did? No. But can people have the confidence to do things that are completely different? Absolutely. And that's what I want to showcase people. And obviously my story is very unique. And so I feel qualified to say these things. And I've processed so many things and I've talked to so many students and residents of what they're feeling. Um, and people are like, this really resonated. You really spoke to me. Um, one person, you know, so I'm starting to get, you know, this launched in January and um, 
people uh, have started reaching out from different actually parts of the world too, that, you know, I'm a physician in Italy, I'm a physician here, I'm a medical student here. And one person recently said, I just read it over the weekend, the whole thing. And I can tell you right now, I feel less unstuck, less stuck. I feel less stuck in my career. And so for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I wrote it, my whole story, why I went into medicine, going into it that it wasn't easy, getting at some adversity, being a medical director, having you know less confidence in others, starting two businesses, leaving medicine, and now building beyond physician and talking to physicians and non-physicians and what I'm seeing out here. That's what the book's about. It's a whole journey. It's things to take home. Um, people say it's empowering. I, I, I believe that. I'm usually just trying to empower people and give confidence to people. Um, there, I put a lot of uh, entrepreneurial stories in there. Um, I put a lot of... Um, women entrepreneurs because there's there's a different scale for them um you know being out here I've, i know that more my wife being a physician and the different adversities she undergoes women founders women investors i just realized it and maybe it's because i'm married have two daughters as well but um it, it's just there's so many underdog stories out there and we need to relate but we also need to see what they did right they, mm -hmm. they didn't get frustrated and just sit there and just be bummed Right. This is our one journey here. Let's make the most out of it. So that, that's what the book's about. That's really cool. I mean, it's, so it's essentially kind of a roadmap using your, your story, but a roadmap to kind of how to maybe pursue some of these opportunities that people may be interested in, but they kind of don't know where to start. I mean, have, kind of where to yeah. start is half the battle so many times with these yes. types of things. And that's so I exactly think right. that, that's really cool that you, you provide that. Um, where can people find this book? Where can they, if they want to, they want to buy it and, and check it out? Yeah. Yeah. It's on Amazon. It's called physician underdog. Um, I have the, uh, the, the digital Kindle version as well as a paperback and hardcover. Uh, I just finished my audio book. So that'll oh. be on hopefully uh, out on audible, et cetera, in a few weeks, depending on the process of this. Um, and then uh, I have a website, physicianunderdog.com, uh, where you can also get the book from Amazon, but there's also a reflection guide that anyone can, whether you read the book or not, it's really something to uh, reflect on your traits and become a better version of yourself. So that's a, a, a guide on there. There's other resources on there, different books I've read, uh, things that have inspired me. So physicianunderdog.com, really has all the companies that I'm involved in as well as the book. Um, and then I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. I probably post once or twice a day. I uh, share about entrepreneurship. I share about uh, venture, about physician, about leadership. Um, a lot of things we talk about right now. Um, I have a monthly newsletter from Loud Capital on loud.vc. Um, and I also uh, just started a podcast called Venture Out Loud, which is behind the scenes on investing and building companies and what goes uh, in on the process. That's awesome. We'll, we will definitely uh, link to all of that below. I guess, I guess my, one of my last questions here is, is for the people who very early on, like my stage residency medical student, if we're interested in, you know, doing VC stuff or, or, you know, entrepreneurship or, or investing, what, you know, some people will tell us just focus on your clinical training, be a good doctor, and then worry about that later. Do you, do you, would you agree with that? Or, or would you say, you know, cause we always have, there's always time. Like you said, you, even when you were practicing, there's time to learn other things. I guess if there, if you feel like we could start earlier, what, what would your advice be on ways to start at least learning yeah. about these types of things earlier? Yeah, no, I, I believe in, of course, fulfill your, your clinical duties and what you need to learn. Um, I didn't read much prior to me being in private practice, but if you're reading or, 
even watching videos, TikTok, whatever you do, Reddit threads, podcasts, start listening to some entrepreneurial journeys and start with maybe brands that you know and respect. Because when you hear the story of, of, of brands, and I included like Cliff Bar, I included Spanx, like well-known uh, companies that um, people like the founder or know about the products, you realize how relatable they are to us. They also knew nothing about what they ended up doing. That's very empowering. So I think relating to brands that you care about and like, when you realize their story, Vineyard Vines, yeah, those are, those are two two corporate folks who knew nothing about retail. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they sold ties like out of their cheap on yeah, Martha's Vineyard. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Yeah, you know that. So, um, you know, it's things like that. And so, so pick out a brand that you respect or like and read about their story. Uh, you know, most of them have a, a great story and go from there. And it might be like, oh, this is boring. This is not for me. But get inspired somehow and then get confidence. And how do you do that? I mean, I get inspired by reading and listening to these stories. It might be different for other people, but no, do not keep your tunnel vision on. Expand it, knowing that you will come one day and say, wow, I worked so hard to be a cardiologist. And a decade in, you might be like, this is great. I really like my job. I can't imagine doing anything else, but I still want more. And so now when I, I, I mentor you know, kids and talk to you know, high schools and, and colleges and students, uh, various students, um, I don't say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I say, what do you want to start with? And, and that's just expectations of there's a really good chance you are going to change. The field may or may not change, but you will change and you will see the world differently or life things happen. And so you might need to go over here. So try to learn a broad set of skills and interests and then you go from there. That's awesome. So last question we ask everybody this, when you're not doing venture capital or entrepreneurship, what, what are your passions outside of work? How do you find that balance? Yeah, which which is basically ninety nine percent of my life because I, I tie everything. My my two daughters will tell you, Dad, stop talking about business because I think there's <laughs> lessons in everywhere. I would say hang, hanging out with uh, hanging out with the family. So I have a an awesome family, and and I am very busy with my business world. And um, traveling with them is probably really, really, really exciting and inspiring. And so recently, you know, we went to Mexico for a week, and um, I completely unplugged. You know laptop in the room and, and phone away. And we had such a really good time. And at this stage of my life, I, uh, that's probably the, the time I'd like to spend on. So that's awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, Naveen, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to talk with us, tell us your story, your insights. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? You mentioned, you know, you're active on LinkedIn. Is there anything else where, where people can uh, reach out and connect with you? Sure. Um, yeah, uh, LinkedIn and Instagram are my two socials. Um, and then Physician Underdog, there's there's uh, kind of an email on there or a, a message board on there if uh, people want to reach out. But uh, hopefully these resources and things that I post are, are helpful or encouraging. Um, and, uh, you know, again, you know, you work hard too. You just came from the hospital and just are doing this podcast. So appreciate what you do. Uh, appreciate what you do for the community. And again, you're spending your precious time doing this which again, I think tells uh, what you're interested in, right? So. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. It's, it's fun, it's fun. Uh, thank you again, I appreciate it. No problem, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DaVinci Hour podcast presented by DaVinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice 
to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or a review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.